Amen. Appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter number 3. We're going to finish up with the last church tonight, um, and then we'll continue through the book of Revelations, but our series will change dynamically because the first three chapters really are messages and are uh, written to the church. And, uh, and there, there's, it's interesting how uh, very clear, I heard it once said many years ago, that, uh, that after chapter 3, you don't hear of, of the church any longer, but I did not realize how significant that was until I spent time really digging through and understanding these messages. And, uh, and so I hope and pray that these have been a blessing to you. I, I have gone back and I go back and I, I look and I'm like, well, what did he say about this church? And I kind of compare the messages between the churches because uh, they're, they're unique and, uh, and I've greatly enjoyed it. And I hope and pray that it has been a blessing to you as well. Uh, Revelation chapter number three and verse number 14, uh, we'll look at the deceived church tonight. The deceived church, Revelation 3.14, the Bible says... And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. We thank you again for the privilege that we have of being in your house. And God, I pray that you would just bless the service tonight. I pray that you would use me. God, I pray that you would speak through me. God, I pray that you would help us to understand and see uh, things in this passage, God, that are so important for us. And Father, we'll certainly thank you for that. God will give you the honor and glory for all of that. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we look at this message, uh, we find that there are, again, the attributes of Jesus Christ that are each one that is revealed in that passage uh, are significant to that passage. And uh, as I was going back through, uh, not all of the churches received a negative commentary. Uh, there were at least two churches who did not. 
Uh, but as we see here tonight, this is obviously a negative commentary on the church that was in Laodicea. And, uh, and again, there are those who uh, say that these represent church ages. And again, I, I'm not disputing that. That very well could be. And there's certainly a model that that fits in time periods. But I also believe that these could be different states of churches as well. And, uh, and so there's several applications perhaps that you could make with these churches. But mark it down. These were actual messages that were actually given to churches that did exist in Asia Minor. Uh, and so I do want us to understand that. Uh, and there is a lot, of, uh, a lot of picturism and things that are included in this, even in the attributes of Jesus Christ. So as we look here in verse number 14, he says this, And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And uh, as we look at those three attributes of Jesus Christ, I want you to notice them. So, well, the very first point is the attributes of the Savior. And I want you to notice uh, the, the attributes that are applied. By the way, as I, I went through these, uh, many commentaries would take the same outline and apply it to each passage. I thought, man, I can't do that. That'd be boring after, after, after church number two. And so, uh, not that it does not fit, but it, there's a standard operating procedure that all these are given by, and that would be the attributes of the Savior, uh, the knowledge of their works, and then the condemnation or the uh, affirmation of what they were doing, uh, and then, of course, the promises that were given. So we see that in all of them. But uh, I want us to notice tonight these attributes of the Savior. He says there the first thing that he notice or that you that he mentions these things saith the Amen, and uh, and so I put down for that Amen is firm and final, firm and final. Amen means this concurrence in belief or affirmative or final word or act. Uh, Christ is being one who is true and faithful. And, uh, and certainly Christ is firm. In other words, hey, it is absolutely certain when, when a preacher preaches uh, and somebody says amen, they are affirming what has been said. And, uh, and so it's a, an affirmation. And so uh, we find that Jesus Christ is the firm and the foundation of our salvation. We understand that. And even as a title, as that's applied to him, he says, uh, "These things write, or these things saith the Amen, or the uh, firm, the foundation of our salvation." The Bible calls him that in 1 Corinthians three eleven. It says, "For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the bedrock of our salvation." And uh, so not just the firm, but also he's the final. He's the last. You'll notice in the beginning of the, uh, the book we started out with, he's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. Uh, and amen would be like the final amen. You turn to the end of the Revelation, the very last word in the book of Revelation is amen. Even so, come quickly, amen. Uh, and, and it's a reference to Jesus Christ being around till the very end, and He did not die on the cross of Calvary, and that was it. No, no. 
He arose from the dead and he lives. He, he walked on this earth and he ascended up into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father uh, awaiting for that command. Hey, go get that trumpet. Hey, and we look forward to that. I mean, the sound of that trumpet uh, will be a beautiful sound. Uh, and listen, uh, that isn't even the end, because then uh, kicks off many events that we'll look at in, in Revelation chapter 4 and going on uh, that is going to be uh, quite an exciting uh, series of events that frankly I'm glad I will not be here for. And, uh, and we'll look at all of that. But what I'm saying is even after that is all done, Christ will continue because He is forever. And, uh, and He is the firm, and He is the final. But look at there also in the middle of the verse, it says, the faithful and true witness. Hey, listen, Jesus Christ uh, is given two descriptive words there as a witness. One is that He is faithful. Listen, if Jesus Christ existed in the beginning of creation, which He did, the Bible affirms that, uh, and if He did, then listen, He has been witnessing the time and the events of time through the beginning of time all the way up till now, and He will continue to be faithful all the way till the end. And He's a faithful witness. Not only is he faithful, but the Bible calls him a true witness. He is a factual witness. You know, I, I, I enjoy sports. I enjoy watching sports. And, uh, and listen, uh, sometimes referees are put in a hard place. My, my daughter plays sports, and uh, sometimes, man, those refs, they miss it. I mean, they absolutely miss it. Bad calls. We're not talking pro league here. Okay, we're not talking uh, mega dollar referees. We're talking about a guy with a side job uh, that volunteers maybe some of his time and comes and does this. And sometimes on an instant when they're watching something, man, they just make a bad call. They're on the fly. Can I tell you something? Jesus Christ will never make a bad call. He is a factual witness. He watches everything that goes on. Did you know that you noticed this? I'm sure you did because I, I might have pointed it out. But in every passage, G, the, the Bible says that I know thy works. Revelation 2.2, 2, it says, I know thy works. Revelation 2.9, I know thy works. Verse 13, I know thy works. Verse 19, I know thy works. In Revelation 3.3, 3, I know thy works. Revelation 3.8, I know thy works. Revelation 3.15, I know thy works. Why does he know them? Because he is a factual witness of what is going on and he does not miss a beat of anything. And Jesus Christ is a factual witness. He's a faithful witness. He's been from the beginning. He will be till the end and he will not fail. He is a faithful and he is a factual witness. And I want you to notice as well, not only is he faithful and factual, and that will come into play in our passage as we look at that, he's not only the firm and final, but I want you to notice as well that he's the first. The Bible says there in our, our passage, Revelation 3.14, the beginning of the creation of God. This is not stating that Christ was created, but rather that, hey, he has been witness from the very beginning of when time started in this world. 
You say, uh, you believe that? Go with me to Colossians chapter 1. I told you this morning that, uh, that, that creation is referred to uh, throughout all the books, of the, many of the books of the Bible. I don't know about all of them, but many of them. And in the book of Revelation, we see that idea of creation. Colossians chapter 1. It affirms for us that Jesus Christ was not only there during creation, but that he was physically uh, active in that creation. Re Colossians chapter number 1, and verse number, we'll pick it up there in verse 15. You'd have to go back a little bit more to get absolute definitive proof that it's talking about Jesus Christ, but it is, and, uh, and you can see that throughout the context. The Bible says in verse number 15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. Hey, listen, it's nice to know that we serve a God that was around in the very beginning of time when this earth was created. He's around in our lifetime. Listen, and after we're dead and gone, if He doesn't come back first, He'll be around at the very end. And uh, listen, He is here for the duration of eternity. That's the God we serve. These are the attributes of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that are given to us here in the book of Revelation, uh, in our passage here in Revelation 3 and verse number 14. And so look at all of those, those attributes that are given. Look at, notice with me, in verse number 15, he starts with the, uh, the actual state of being of this church. I found it very interesting as I went back through these. He says there in verse number 15, I know thy works. Then go with me. He says that thou art neither cold nor hot. Now that word art uh, is not talking about drawing pictures. Okay, uh, It is a form of, of be, being, have been. In other words, it is a state of being. Uh, and, and he's saying, hey, I know who you truly are. I went back, I thought, man, i, I got to look at all the rest of the churches. Did he say anything about that with the other churches? Uh, flip back with me just to Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 4. Notice what he says in verse number 4. He says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. That's the church at Ephesus. Uh, verse number 4, excuse me, I read verse number 2. Uh, verse number 4, nevertheless... I have somewhat against thee. He said, I know thy works, and I have somewhat against thee. That's the church in Ephesus. Fast forward to uh, the church in Pergamos, uh, to verse number 14. The Bible says, in verse number 13, he says, I know thy works, and then he gives the good things that they have done. In verse number 14, he goes to the negative, and he says, but I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Fast forward to verse number 20, 
and we find the church of Thyatira. And uh, in verse 19, he says, I know thy works. And in verse 20, he says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Go with me to Revelation 3.2. And in verse 1 again, he says, I know thy works. And in verse 2, he says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. And he gives them uh, things that they have done or things that are in air that are taking place in the church. And, and he, 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 uh, he, he come, it's not condemn, it's... Uh, Lost the word. He, he's proud of them, and he's telling them, these are the right things that you have done. But then on the other hand, he says, hey, these are the things that you have done wrong. These are the works that you have. These are the things that you have allowed. And these are problematic that exist in the churches. But now you go to our passage, and in verse number 15, he says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. And he's not talking about their actions at this point. He's talking about the state of being of who they truly were. And there's a difference there. All the other churches, he's talking about works. He's talking about things that they have done, things that they have allowed, things that they have permitted, things that they have uh, neglected. But in, in, in our chapter here and in our passage in verse 15, he's talking about the state of being of the church. And it's a minor difference, but it's there and it's very clear. And so uh, he's got three things that he gives against them. And I want you to notice them in verse number 15. Uh, number First and foremost of the actual state of being of this church is that it was disgusting. Amen? I knew you'd like that one. It was disgusting. Look at what he says there. He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Have you ever been working on a hot day? And man, it is hot. And I've had this happen to me. And you're like, man, I know I've got my water bottle over there. And, and, uh, and, and man, you go and you get your water bottle and you don't even pay attention. You just rip the top off. Man, you throw it in your mouth and it is lukewarm, sun-warm water. And you're like, oh, that was not what I was expecting. I was expecting an ice-cold, uh, refreshing uh, bit of water. And, and that's not what took place. And, and Jesus is using the illustration. And he says, listen, uh, your Christianity, because it's neither cold nor hot, but because it's lukewarm, I will spew it out of my mouth. And listen, that's, he, he was disgusted by their Christianity. He was disgusted by the things that they saw in the church. He was greatly concerned about what was going on there in the church of Laodicea. Uh, and, and that was a problem. I've heard that Laodicea suffered many problems with the water and there was difficulties. And I'm told that it was hard to get cold water there in Laodicea, but much of the water would be lukewarm. And it was gross. Hey, listen, I, I, like, I like hot coffee. And, and of recent years, I've learned, oh, iced coffee is pretty good too, especially in hot climates. 
But I tell you what, you take a cup of coffee that's been setting out all day, and if it was hot and it's cooled off to lukewarm temperature, it's just gross. If you take an iced coffee uh, that has warmed up and it is no longer iced coffee, but it's lukewarm temperature, it's gross. And Jesus is saying, listen, the actual state of this church was disgusting. And he would spew it out of his mouth. He gives a very clear, clear uh, illustration that he uses there. Uh, notice with me in verse number 17, not only was the state of this church disgusting, the actual state, but I want you to notice as well that it was deceptive. Look in verse number 17. He says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. It was a deceptive church, uh, a deceptive church, because it's, it was boasting of its riches. Hey, listen, great wealth does not equal godliness. It just does not. Uh, sometimes we are prone to think, well, that church is doing very well. Matter of fact, that church just bought a stadium and renovated it, and they hold services in the stadium. Wow, God must really be blessing that work. Listen, that's not always the case. Matter of fact, that's God's indictment of this church, that they themselves were pro proclaiming and saying, hey, we're doing well, and God is blessing us, therefore we must be doing something right, and God is with us. No, that's not the case. They were saying that. They were saying we are rich, we are increased with goods, we don't have need of anything. But there was a problem, because God was saying, hey, you're disgusting. And, and your state of Christianity is not right in the eyes of God. Hey, we have got to be very careful from the parental uh, view, in other words, the appearance that everyone would say, well, he's dressed in a nice white shirt, he's got a, a nice coat and a nice tie, so he must be godly. No, that's not always true. Appearances do not equal godliness. Riches do not equal godliness. We can go over and over and over that in the Bible. But that's God's indictment of them. Because in verse 17, Thou sayest, I am rich, and increase with goods, and have need of nothing. In other words, they're spouting off to everyone else, well, God has blessed us, and God has taken care of us. But the truth was, they were far from God. And we find that they were deceptive in their sayings. Look at there. We find not only are they deceptive, but I want you to notice that they were delusional. You know, some people, they deceive, deceive on purpose. But some people are just delusional. They think, well, we're really that good. My kids, they, when they were younger, my son, he took Taekwondo, and a couple of my girls took Taekwondo, and... and uh, if you've ever watched somebody learn Taekwondo or start out in Taekwondo, it's great fun. It just is. You watch them and, 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 and little kids, you know, when they're practicing, man, uh, you say, do a kick. And man, man, they do their kick. And, uh, and, and, and they th in their mind, they are Chuck Norris. I mean, man, they had the greatest form. It looked good. They, they, I mean, they'll bust any board and they will do anything. But if you're really looking at them, you say, man, that was pitiful. Good, good job, Junior. Good job, Sally. 
You encourage them to go on because, I mean, you want them to, to do well, but, but in reality, they're, they're delusional. They don't realize that they have a lot to learn and that they have not arrived yet. And they really uh, don't, they're not what they think they are. Listen, to a certain extent, we all have a little bit of a delusional idea or concept of ourselves, to a little bit. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I look in the mirror in the morning when I get up and I get all ready and, and then I avoid the mirror the rest of the day because in my mind, I look like just like I looked like when I left the house. It doesn't matter if I have spaghetti on my face and my hair's all messed up. Uh, it doesn't matter uh, because in my mind, my delusional state is, I remember this morning I looked good when I left the mirror, so I must be okay. And, and we have this idea. And so this is what the church in Laodicea had. He says there in verse 17, Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and he goes on, and knowest not that thou art, that is a state of being, wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And he says, listen, your actual state that you are in is, is very delusional. You think you're fine. You think everything's going well. But the reality is, and he lists them for us, and he gives us all these things. He says, wretched. That definition means very miserable, sunk into deep affliction or distress, either from want, anxiety, or grief. He calls them miserable. Miserable is very unhappy, causing unhappiness. Poor, destitute of value, worth, or importance. Blind, destitute of the sense of seeing. Probably in a spiritual sense would be the indication of our text. Naked would mean uncovered, unarmed, defenseless, or exposed. And they thought that they were keeping up the appearances. They thought that everything was going well. They thought, and they would tell people, hey, God is blessing our work, and we have everything that we need, and there is no needs. We are good as we are. But in reality, they were completely delusional. They had no idea what is going on. They were totally blind to all of their needs that they had that He lists out for them. And so we see the actual state of the church. Look in verses 18 down through 20. We find the advice that Jesus gives them. I love this in verse number 18. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Let me just stop right here and say this. I read that and, and I thought, oh boy, that sounds like all the sales pitches that I'm always told to avoid. You got problems, but I got just what you need, and I'll sell it to you. But can I tell you something? Jesus Christ is not just giving a sales pitch. Jesus Christ is the only one that can offer righteousness to the world. So he's the only one that can give that out. Listen, you can go to church, you can be baptized, you can, uh, you know, you know uh, you've been here long enough. Uh, you know that this church cannot save you. This church cannot change you. The baptismal waters cannot save you. They cannot change you. But listen, Jesus Christ can change a life. And he can give you righteousness. And he's the only one suited to give you righteousness. And so he advises you here. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in fire. And I want you to notice the, the advice that he gives. Number one is to acquire 
or buy the gold. Now, I, I want you to realize that we, we do not have a works-based salvation. You know that. But the gold, as we look at it, would be a purity or a cleanliness because you are saved not to earn your salvation. In other words, God has saved you. Hey, it does require a little bit of work to get your life straight. Uh, the Christian life doesn't just happen like that. I mean, you just wake up and say, well, I'm saved. Man, I'll never, I'll never suffer with temptation to lie. I'll never suffer with temptation to cheat. I'll never suffer with temptation to steal. No, no, that's not true. I'll never suffer with temptation to do drugs or, or drink alcohol. No, that's not true. Uh, it is something that we will struggle with. It is something that we must learn to die to self. There is a price to be paid. There is something to be said for purchasing, acquiring, or buying that gold that Jesus talks about. And, it's a, and it means, hey, that we've got to put in our part to live a righteous life. Again, not for salvation, because we cannot earn our salvation, but because we are saved. And he says, hey, acquire, buy from of me gold tried in that fire. Listen, there's a, there's a cost associated with clean living. What about the clothing, he says there? Not only does he ad advise us to buy the gold, but he says, and white raiment. Ephesians chapter 4. We can go over there really quick. Galatians, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22. He talks about this. Ephesians 4.22, the Bible says this that ye put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. In other words, hey, that we would make an effort of putting off our old man. I've used this illustration before, that we would take off the old man. We'd say, man, I am done with that. And we'd throw it aside. We'd say, I don't want that anymore. And then he goes on in verse number 23, and he says this, uh, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which is after God, in cre is created in righteousness and true holiness. And then he'd say, after you've put off the old man, that you would put on a new man, that your life would be changed that your life would be dressed in righteousness, that you would have the clothing of God. He's not talking about a physical garment. He's talking about a spiritual change that would take place in your life. And he's saying here in, in, uh, in Revelation, he's saying what I advise you is to purchase, to buy that gold that is pure, to buy the white raiment, the purity of life. And then he says there, I love this, uh, not only does he say those two things, but also... Notice what he says there. Uh, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, that you would be covered and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, salve that thou mayest see. He addresses all of it. He said, you listen, you're poor, you're wretched, you're naked, you're blind, that you can't see spiritually. And he's saying, listen, purchase for yourself gold. Make your life right. Put in an effort to live right and, and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourself in his righteousness. And then he addresses their blindness and says, hey, anoint your eyes with Isaac. 
that you may see, and that you could see properly. And of course, he's talking about a spiritual vision that we ought to have. And he's, he's advising them, hey, buy these things, get these things. They're not going to come easily. They're not going to come automatically. They will require effort on our part that we could get those things. Not only does he ask us to acquire, but notice his statement in verse number 19. He says, and as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. He's saying, hey, listen, if I've gotten on to you, if, if, if I've addressed something in your life, it's because I love you. And I'm rebuking you because I chasten my children. I've given the illustration many times. The Lord doesn't uh, listen when, when the neighbor kids are, are, being ha- are misbehaving in the park beside your house. You don't go out there and grab them and, and, and smack them and say, hey, what are you doing? You shouldn't be doing that. If you do, you're going to have big problems. But if your kid's out there in the park doing that, you know what? You might go do that. You might grab them, drag them home and say, I told you not to be doing that. That was wrong. Why, why do you rebuke one and not the other? Because they're your child. You love them. Hey, listen, God rebukes the children that he loves. He wants us to live right. He, he rebukes us because he does love us and he, he encourages us. He advises us to be zealous, therefore, and to repent, to change our life and say, listen, recognize the wickedness and say, I don't want these things in my life. And ask God and say, God, help me, strengthen me, uh, enable me to live right, to do right. Listen, people struggle all the time with with addictions in their life, with uh, difficulties in their life. You know how you get over it? You recognize it as sin, number one. Number two, you say, God, I don't want to continue in this. Help me. You might fall again. And you know what you do? You do the exact same thing. This is wicked. God, I don't like it. God, help me to get rid of this out of my life. The Bible says, make no provision for the flesh. Hey, listen, if you struggle with something, uh, then, then stay away from that. Don't put yourself in a place that you would be tempted. And he's saying be zealous. He's advising them to ask, to turn, to repent, that their life would be changed and they would be made better. He says acquire, buy those things that he mentions in verse 18. He's saying ask for help in verse 19 as you be zealous and repent and turn to the Lord and find help. Verse number 20, I love this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Oftentimes we find that verse is used for salvation. It's not really to salvation at all. It's really to the saved. It is a message to the church. And he's saying, hey, listen, I'm here to help. And if I come a-knocking, and I'm there for you, hey, listen, all you got to do is open the door. And you got to allow God to come into your life. And you got to say, God, I'm willing to, to have you in my life, to sup with you, to spend time, to fellowship, to... Uh, to commune with you. And this is the advice he's giving. Acquire those things that are good. The gold, the, the clothing, the eye salve. Uh, buy those things. And then he's saying, hey, repent and be zealous or ask for help and, and God will help you. And then lastly, he's saying, hey, accept 
the fact that I'm here to help. And I'm, I'll open your door to, to your life and let God in and let God move and work. Listen, how many times? Oh, you have preaching, you have messages, you have invitation. And God comes and He, and he knocks on the door of the heart. And people just stand there. Sometimes I'll grab the pew in front of them. And they just stand there and say, well, I don't, not today, Lord. I don't want to open the door. I don't want my life changed. I kind of like where I'm at in my life. I don't want any, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to make any differences. And we become very stubborn and we do not open the door to the Savior as he's standing there and he's knocking. Hey, listen, I love the Lord and I love this about him. He's not going to force his way into your life. He's, he's not going to do that. He wants us to choose to open that door. You don't think he could break his way in. He could break in his way anytime he wanted. But he wants us from the inside to open it up and say, God, I want you in my life. I want you in my, in my personal decisions. I want you involved in every aspect, in every corner of my life. And allow him free reign to go into your house, to go into your life, to evaluate every part of your life. Sometimes, everyone's done this, you'll have somebody out over and your wife will say, close the bedroom door, the bed's not made, and you close that door. Listen, we, sometimes we'll open the door to our house and we'll let Jesus go in, but don't, don't go to that room, that's a mess. Close, close the kids' door, they didn't clean their room today. I don't let anybody down in the garage because, man, that's a disaster. And we close off areas. We say, God, you can come in, but just, just to the living room, just to the kitchen. We'll just let you in just this area. And we shut off the rest of our life. We say, God, that's not open to you. Listen, he wants access to every part. And he wants to help us. And he wants to, to, to clean up our life. And he wants us to live right. But we've got to open the door. He's not going to knock it down. He's not going to force his way in. This is his advice that we acquire the clean life, the clothing, the clear vision, that we ask Him to help us when He chastens us, that we accept His help when He comes a-knocking and says, well, there's something right there that you need to work on. There's something right there that needs fixed or refined in your life. This is the advice that He gives. Listen, he goes on and he says, to him that overcometh. We have those promises. And he goes on in verse 22, like every one of the messages. And I, I wish we could get to them all. I wish we could go back and, and recover all of those promises. But I'm just telling you, this is, these are the things that we can see in this message. I don't think our church is Laodicean. But listen, that doesn't mean that we can't have little pieces of Laodicea in our life. That we need to be careful that we don't become like that and that we don't become that Laodicean church like they were. With every head bowed and every eye closed, as we have our hymn of invitation, the seventh church was a deceived church. They, didn't, they deceived others. They were delusional in what they really were. They weren't what they thought they were. They were delusional. Listen, we need to have God evaluate our life and then be open and accepting to whatever He 
would tell us we need to work on. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the messages that you've given to the seven churches. God, how instructive and informational and helpful that they have been to us. And God, how very necessary they are. God, I pray that you would help us to guard against those things. God, that we would follow the advice and, and we'd evaluate our lives even where we're at, Father, so that we would not arrive to the place of the Laodicean church. God, I pray that you would speak to hearts, help us to be open, help us to open our lives to you, every avenue, every room, every area, every place. Be open for you. After all, you do know us. You said so over and over, I know thy works. You're factual. You're faithful. You don't miss a beat. Father, I pray that you'd help us with these things. And God, I pray that you'd help us to live ever so close to you on a daily basis, to guard against being lukewarm in our life. God, I ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. there in Laodicea was disgusting, it was deceptive, it was delusional, and Christ's advice to them was, acquire my righteousness, work at it, buy clothing, white robes, raiments that are pure, buy eyesight, apply it to your eyes to have good spiritual eyesight, ask for God to help you, open accept the invitation of him knocking on our heart.